All right, peeps, on today's episode of The Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be talking to Hong Kong movie legend, Bay Logan. Lots of gems, lots of, you know, i got nothing for you. You make your own decisions about this. Let's get to it. And every day, I practice martial arts. Watch out. Hey, Bay, how you doing, man? I'm happy to be here. It's good to finally have you on the podcast. <laughs> finally. <laughs> You're, uh, yeah. you're, uh, a lot of people have requested to have you on, you. and I thought it would actually be better to do it in Hong Kong rather than do it through Zoom. We're a living, living legend and a living legend. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much for doing this. I'm excited because uh, I get a lot of questions about oh, okay. Bruce Lee movies, and, yeah. I, and you are the guy. Um, that's not Bless particularly you my that. area of expertise, sure so uh, very excited to do that. And before we get started... The best way to support the Kung Fu Genius is on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Kung Fu Genius. For as little as $5 a month, that's that's almost like a cup of coffee at Starbucks, right? I think it's, it's a cup of fancy coffee. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you can support your favorite podcast and get access to episodes early, including uh, my Instagram subscriber reels, which are pretty awesome. You don't have to pay extra on Instagram for those. You can get it all on Patreon. So patreon.com slash the Kung Fu Genius. So, Bay. Yes. Uh, I get a lot of questions about Bruce Lee films, in particular, yeah. the original versions of those films right. as they were first shown in Hong Kong. Mm. So I think uh, maybe a good place to start is to discuss how those films were originally shot without sound, yeah. and what was what was the process of shooting them without sound, and how did they then later add the sound, who did it, and let's maybe get started with that a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Well, that era of... Uh, there was a period of Cantonese cinema when they would film the old black and white Wong Fei Hong films and all the other movies of that era, where they would film with sync sound and they would actually have everybody speaking in Cantonese. And then with the rise of the Shaw Brothers studio, um, there was a feeling that even though Hong Kong, they didn't speak much Mandarin. It wasn't the prevalent dialect or language of Hong Kong. Somehow it was classier. It's a strange phenomenon. I don't think it's ever really been explained to my satisfaction. But it would be like, um, you know, everybody in, 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 in America suddenly going, Latin sounds better. Right. So all the movies were shot in Latin, even right. though nobody spoke Latin. Right. So they started doing that. And what they would do is, because nobody in Hong Kong really spoke Mandarin that well, they made the decision to film what the German directors called MOS, mit out sound. And then they would shoot without sound. And then later they would be dubbed in a dubbing studio. But that meant that you could shoot uh, dialogue scenes in a really short amount of time, but you had all the time in the world to shoot the action. So that's part of where the energy, because they were silent films being made in the sound era because of the fact that they were shooting them wild. Well, the wild is the term without right. sound, yeah. So then obviously uh, there would be a different voice actor doing, mm -hmm. for example, in the case of the Bruce Lee films, yeah. it would be, because Bruce Lee didn't speak Mandarin to, right. to my knowledge. <clears throat> um, but what about, w would they also do a Cantonese dub for the local audiences or no. was it purely, it was purely in Mandarin? Cantonese dub was way later and primarily for video. Right. But the version that played in the theaters would be Mandarin. And ironically, the same guy, uh, Chang Pei San, uh, did the voice of Bruce Lee in Mandarin and the voice for his bitter rival, Jimmy Wong Yu. So they were. The, the, it was the same guy, uh -huh. and uh, Fan Moi San, who was the father of uh, Fan Su Wong, who somebody both of them are friends of mine. Um, Fan Moi San was somebody who also dubbed the Bruce Lee movies, and you can see. I think there's photographs of, P of Bruce Lee in the dubbing studio, observing the dubbing going on, and he was very much involved with both the the Mandarin original dub and then later the English dub for the films. Oh, so uh, Bruce Lee was involved in the English dub. They had then English dub that early. They had an English dub shortly after the production because oh. um, 
the major market globally, the films will be sold internationally and they'd have an English version. Mm -hmm. And in uh, Way of the Dragon, you hear Bruce's voice. A Fist of Fury and, and Way of the Dragon, you actually hear Bruce's voice not playing himself, right. but playing some of the subsidiary characters. I mean, in Fist of Fury, let me take care of him. Right. You know, it's like you hear Bruce Lee on the actual very original English soundtrack yeah, but in the way man, the dragon wasn't he one of the, thugs? He was one of the henchmen yeah, yeah. One of the henchmen, absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. So he yeah. came in and did the line but he didn't do his own voice and mm. he did not do any part of the mandarin dubbing and i think hong kong people other than when they'd heard him on tv didn't really know what he sounded like yes because they never heard him in the films and in the american shows he'd done he'd only spoken english so bruce bruce lee's cantonese sound was um, something that you only heard when he was doing TV interviews. And it's interesting because I think part of what makes him extraordinarily um, this physical, charismatic figure is he was kind of a man without a language. His only language was his charisma and his physical expression of his move the movement of the human body because he didn't speak English perfectly. And by the time he came back to Hong Kong, he didn't speak Cantonese perfectly either. So he was kind of not from my perception and what people tell me, was not fluent in any language except for the language of being Bruce Lee. Wow. And I think that maybe in some way contributes to his charisma on screen, um, that that was his main language was, you know, screen presence. Interesting. So now then comes the second question, which is about his iconic screams. Right. So if he wasn't doing his own mm. dubbing, did he come up with that? Did he tell the Mandarin voice actor to do it that certain way? Like, what, do, you, do you know anything about the genesis of that whole thing? Um, certainly, Bruce Lee, when even back in the days when he was doing uh, Green Hornet, you could see hear him doing when, what was an adaptation of the Kiai right. from you know, karate. And then when he came back to Hong Kong, he took it to another level. But I think there's a sense that when he came back to Hong Kong, it was like Spinal Tap, everything turned up to 11. So if he was in... Green Hornet, and he was going, ah, da, 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 da. then by the time he came back, -hoo -hoo, you know, it was all that stuff. But then, from my understanding, they would dub the Mandarin, the Mandarin voice actor would dub the dialogue, and then um, he, uh, Bruce, would come in and do his screams. He would do the fighting, the war cries. Oh, he himself. would do the war cries himself. Yes. That's interesting because when I read, so here's a great segue to your book, yes. Bruce Lee and I. I remember uh, there was something you had written in there about the. Um, Mike Remedios, is that his name? Correct, the singer. Yeah, who's singer. And what version of Way of the Dragon was his song? He, he made a theme song for Way of the Dragon, but I don't remember that being on any version I saw. I, I, I think it was, um, I'm trying to remember what the song was that he did for Way of the Dragon. Um, if I knew there was a test, I would have studied. But <laughs> he had done a, that's the, the, the dragon's, I oh know that was, Robert Lee, The Dragon's Way, The Way of Life. I'm no, no, I didn't know that. That was the Mike Ramirez, The Dragon. Oh, that was the, the one? Way. It was very oh, like crooner-ish, right. like a yeah, Tom it was Jones kind of, style. And uh, then he did, um, he'd done Fist of Fury, I use hands. And then later, yeah, that's The Dragon's Way, The Way of Life. Right. But that one was less, uh, the one on, The Way of the Dragon was heard less often. Yes. Um, so I guess that was on certain cuts of the film. But Bruce's voice doing those cries is on that yes. song, which is amazing. The it, Bruce war cries were used on the Mandarin version mm -hmm. and then later were repurposed for the Cantonese version, even though even the Cantonese voice is not that of Bruce Lee. I see. And then repurposed for the English version when they weren't speaking English when he was doing his war cries, it was Bruce Lee. And then 
also were used on um, the songs when they did soundtrack albums, when they did the Remedios songs, they would just sample Bruce Lee doing his, you know, in the, in the, the what he'd done in the recording studios. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Uh, so Enter the Dragon, which was also shot yeah. in Hong Kong, was that, sh that was also shot without sound from what I understand or? Now, my understanding is that she started, they were trying to do sound, but it was so difficult that most of it was 80 yard when they got back to LA. Interesting. And there's famously Bruce Claps one he was doing ADR uh, additional dialogue recording work in in Hong Kong. But uh, they did actually have sound recorded on set. And of course, the, there's this tragic story that Henry Wong had shot hours of behind the scenes footage with sound on the set. And this was footage forever. has Henry told me that he basically took all of the footage that he'd filmed and left it in the temporary offices of Fred Weintraub at Golden Harvest. And Fred was like, "What's this shit?" And Fred, can I say shit on your show? Absolutely, you can okay. say all the so, shits you all want. All right, good. So Fred said, what's this shit? And then uh, Henry goes like, kind of, well, it's all the behind the scenes from Enter the Dragon. And Fred Weintraub goes, well, you know, I don't, I don't need all of this. And take it. And Henry goes, even if you don't want the footage, the actual film stock belongs to you. Because it was on 16 millimeter. Wow. And so he says, so that's yours. And he left it and it was never seen again. And after Bruce Lee died, Raymond Chow kept calling Henry and saying, do you still have any of that behind-the-scenes footage? And Henry would go, no. And Raymond would go, well, you know, if you did, I'd pay you 10000 20000 50000 It kept going up and up with subsequent phone calls. And finally, Henry said, Raymond, you can offer me a million dollars. I don't have it. So it was a tragedy. It was never, it was never seen again. Of course, if, if Fred would have known that Bruce was going to pass away, I guess he would have kept it. Sure. Hey, everyone, just want to let you know Wing Chun Illustrated is now offering a paperback edition through Amazon, reaching a larger global market. And no, they're not ditching the glossy magazine edition through MagCloud. You can now simply choose the version of this magazine you prefer and the one with the cheapest shipping wherever you live. Order your copy of Wing Chun Illustrated today across 12 Amazon marketplaces with free shipping for Prime members. Go and check that out. Uh, speaking of lost uh, Bruce Lee footage, I mean, the, one of the things that I think... Uh, upsets a lot of fans of Bruce Lee is the lack of TV interview footage that yeah. exists of him. Obviously, we have the Pierre Burton interview, right. but besides that, we have a couple radio interviews like yeah. Ted Thomas yeah. and uh, a couple secretly recorded phone calls. Uh, online, there is, uh, I believe there was some kind of uh, typhoon relief uh, charity show right. that they had done and it's like a few hours long and it has everything but when Bruce Lee shows up. Isn't that bizarre? And the big rumor is that some someone somehow managed to get get this. Do, do you think that that's the case? or? Well, there are <clears throat> two answers to the question. I mean, it's funny because we just did a big um, commemorative event. I always feel it's a bit strange to say ce celebration because it was anniversary of Bruce Lee's passing, right. but it was a commem commemorative event which we had right where we're sitting now. And we had Robert Chua, uh, Choi Wapeng, who had been the uh, the producer of Enjoy Yourself Tonight, the groundbreaking uh, variety show on which Bruce Lee appeared many, many times. Mm -hmm. And he had, unfortunately, um, shortly after the Bruce Lee era, had quit EYT. And w after he'd gone, the decision was made to uh, basically wipe all the tapes of these existing shows to free up space and he was furious with the person who, you know, had... And he actually told me the names of the people, and he was furious with them. But he confirmed that it happened. I do believe that there are still... Like, when I found the Game of Death footage, I could have run a copy for myself and sat there and, by the light of the full moon, been like, precious! <laughs> <coughs> Never shared it with anybody. Sure. But uh, what happened was, I think, there are people with footage, 
like I think there's 20 minutes of outtakes from Way of the Dragon, um, and maybe maybe the Typhoon uh, benefit footage, and there's somebody holding on to it, and the whole thing for them is not sharing it. They want to keep it all for themselves. Right, right. So I have to ask you this: What's your favorite Bruce Lee film? I would say Fist of Fury, because I feel that the other films, Big Boss, Way of the Dragon, because of the structure. They actually leave it quite a while before Bruce Lee goes into action. Mm -hmm. um, Enter the Dragon, I think, is a fantastic film for lots of reasons other than Bruce Lee, contrary to what you read. But I don't think he fights enough in that. Uh, but when I look at Fist of Fury, it's like from the very beginning, like when they first offend the Chinese and show up at the funeral, the next scene, Bruce is in there fighting. So to me, I enjoy that the most, uh, start to finish. Right. Yeah. Uh, you had mentioned, I think, uh, because for a lot mm. of foreigners, we saw Enter the Dragon yeah. first, so that's kind yeah. of our archetypical Still a classic. Bruce Lee Still film. A classic, yes. But that film didn't do that well in the Hong Kong box office. Do you no, have it's any strange, thing? isn't it? I think that Bruce was perceived as being something of a man of the people. And so if you look at him in his, um, certainly in you know his biggest hit, Way of the Dragon, he's this kind of... Um, almost like a Stephen Chow character mm -hmm. or a Jackie Chan character, this underdog who we find out, oh my God, this guy can really fight. And then you see you know, the film unfolding and he becomes this true hero. But his character is very much, he's like from the New Territories, from the Sun Guy, mm -hmm. and his way of talking, his way of acting. The, the, the city slick Hong Kongers in the film kind of look down at him, down on him at the beginning. So I think that was the persona at that time that... Hong Kong audiences really liked. And when they kind of, they repurposed him, he's an odd character in Enter the Dragon. He's like a Shaolin monk who has a butler. And then, and he's wearing this kind of three-piece suit when he right. goes to his uh, sister's grave. Um, and he's writing books. So he's kind of a bit slick. And I think audiences didn't like that so much. Right. But you know what I think is that if that weirded you out, Hong Kong audiences, wait till you would have seen Game of Death. You know, that would have been something with the yellow suit and killing everybody and, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar with the pink eyes. If, that, if, if you didn't like Enter the Dragon, wait till we see what we have next. Because that was one thing when I discovered the Game of Death footage. The thing that struck me was this was going to be a weird-ass film. And I wonder, at that time, I think Bruce Lee Does the Laundry would have been a hit. Right. So I think it would have worked globally, but I think people would have, I, even then, I think people would have been like, what? You know, there were things in it. It was very strange. It's a very strange film. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same way, and I feel it's always an unpopular opinion when, you know, we've seen all that extra footage that right. you found. And then when you look at, like, they're just, like, all this kind of the expository dialogue that just goes on, and it's, like, it's weird. And, yeah, like you said, with the eyes and everything. And I was worried, like, does he have too much power? Did he have too much power at that time to start doing whatever he wanted? I mean, also, was there a script for Game of Death? Uh, Andre Morgan told me there was an outline, which, by the way, was not like it was a, that was a common thing, even at Shaw Brothers, even at Golden Harvest. They didn't have a script in the conventional sense. Um, they would have an outline. It was more like maybe Commedia, and you knew what the characters were generally. And then on the day, you'd show up and people would say, oh, you say this, you say this, you say that. So there wasn't like, um, you couldn't get a script and prepare the way an actor would in, in the States. Um, so I think there was an outline mm. for what they would do scene by scene. Um, my weird, the things, the couple of things I find strange about Game of Death is the way he kind of like nonchalantly kills off people who don't need to be killed. He doesn't need to kill Dan's character, Chikon Zoya's character, Jabbar's character. And I just felt you, it, when people saw the movie, that might have been like, why is he doing that? 
because uh, even he doesn't really need to kill Chuck Norris in Way of the Dragon. Right. But they make a thing out of it, you know, this <clears throat> and paying respects. But in Game of Death, he kind of kills them and moves on. Right. And then he gets to the top of the tower and then doesn't do anything except walk back down again. So it's a very odd film. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, when you wrote your book, Bruce Lee and yes. I, so obviously you had to do a lot of research, Correct. even though you know yes. so much about Bruce yes. Lee already. Was there anything that you found out during the research for that book mm. that shocked you or surprised you or anything that was <clears throat> new for you? I think um, <clears throat> the, thing, the thing that really, uh, we're talking to the stunt guys again, the degree to which he had to win them over when he came back, mm. that the perception of him as a child actor or as a guy who had gone off to America to live a life of privilege, to go to university in America, did not bode well. It was not like, this is the guy who's going to be the new action mm -hmm. king. Mm -hmm. And then when he came to Thailand to do Big Boss, Tan San Dai Hing, it was like, okay, prove yourself. And the constant sense of these guys. And it's interesting, people say to me, oh, was Bruce a real fighter? I mean, honestly, when he got off the plane in America when he was 18, he had had more real fights than 90% of the karate champions at that time, just right. by having the challenge matches and street fights in Hong Kong. But then when he came back to Thailand, everybody was just like, this guy, this precocious brat's coming back to show us how to do stuff. And he won them all over. And Lam Ching, Lam Ching Ying, who is one of, plays one of the cousins, later famous for being in Prodigal Son, playing Mr. Vampire, he was a guy who was like, a real brawler. You give him a couple of beers and he would just fight with anybody. Wow. Samo told me that one time they were in a bar in Korea and Samo went to the restroom and when he came back, Lam Ching was fighting a couple of American GIs. Wow. And he was like, <clears throat> you wonder how he managed to start a fight in that short amount of time. That's incredible because that's not my perception of him at all. I think, I th no. obviously, I think of him more as, yeah. you know, playing Leung Yitai from Prodigal Son. You see him as Ho Man. Yes. But then it, it give him a couple of beers and he was ready to fight, apparently, wow. as wow. Samo told me. And then um, he was one guy who was like, who's this Bruce Lee guy? And then became his staunchest disciple. And they all did. But not by virtue of, um, it wasn't like he showed up with like a, you know, American Express card, I am the great Bruce Lee. He had to prove himself every step of the sure, way. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, so, uh, so one more thing I wanted yes. to mention, which, which came across from this whole thing was the degree to which it was a real shock to everybody's system. When Bruce arrived in... Big, in, in Thailand to do The Big Boss and La Wei, uh, well, as the first director, you know, and also um, uh, Han Yanjie, uh, the action director, both were saying to him, okay, we, we kind of want you to fight like Wong Yu. So you basically start with this guy on the left and you fight, 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 and then you work your way back around again. Like Wong Yu did in all his movies, like the Chinese boxer mm -hmm. in Shaw Brothers, which mm -hmm. is the big influence on doing Shaw Brothers. And Bruce Lee said, no, 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 if I, take, if I have to fight everybody, it takes me forever to fight everybody who's at low rank, what do I do when I get to the, to the master? Sure. So then he said, no, I'm just going to kick this guy, this guy, this guy. And that was his, you know, three guys. That was his nickname, Sam Gutley, like three, three kicks Lee. Mm. And then um, everybody's up in arms because actors uh, never would dictate to the director or the action director how the action was going to be. And then they call back to... Golden Harvest in Hong Kong and sent the dailies back of what Bruce had done. And Raymond said, okay, no, do it his way. We'll bet on him, right. which I think was the genius move of Raymond. Um, and the other thing was, you know, the fact that now it seems to be preordained, but there was a very real possibility that people wouldn't really respond to the big boss. I mean, if you look at 
Duel of Fists, which was shot by the Shaw Brothers director uh, Chang Che, Chang Chit, at the same time in Bangkok. It's such a bigger production, and they go on location in the Thai boxing arenas, and you've got David Chang and Dick Long, and you know all of this stuff going on, and they shot these big sets and everything. It's a big prestige production. If you looked at the taking Bruce Lee out of the equation, if you looked at the two films, you'd go, no one's going to watch Big Boss. Right. So there was a possibility that all he would have done was Big Boss. It would have failed, and he goes back to America with at least a starring, you know, a movie under his under his arm, like, look at me, I can be a leading man. Right. So that, that I think, these, these were the things. I think what's interesting is when you grow up with Bruce Lee, you have a perception of how he is. But when you actually go back and research him, you find out how much was um, lucky happenstance and how much was the, was the result of his own effort and genius. And it, it was not preordained. Right. But now it always seems that way. Sure. In hindsight. In yeah, hindsight, so, yeah, exactly, yeah. yes. I can't imagine Big Boss with James Tien and no. it would be the most forgettable film, I yes. think. Not, nothing against James Tien, but yeah. Or even even with uh it would not have had the same impact with, right. with Wong Yu, but right. I mean or or any of the other guys who were out at that time. It just had, it was it ended up being the perfect vehicle for Bruce Lee. Now at the time of Bruce Lee's death, uh besides his bigger plans to go back to the states and make bigger films, there were a few uh, films that he was planning on doing. Right. Um, can you talk maybe about some of those? Well, I, I only know from talking to the survivors, um, people who had been approached by him, Bolo said that he was planning to remake... Bolo and George Lazenby both told me he had talked about remaking Way of the Dragon in America. Mm. He was also working on a film... Uh, he had a, a, a script called uh, Lamkun Baktoy, uh, a Northern Fist, Southern Leg, which when I read the script, I was surprised because it was obvious that by the time he would have made it, he was kind of a little bit too old to play that lead role. Mm -hmm. And it really... It was supposed to be a young guy? Yeah, it was like a young, naive teenager. And Bruce was already in his 30s when he he made it. So I think that was interesting. But that was one. It was like a... It was similar in... In con, it, w- it was much better realized, but it was similar in approach to Game of Death, and it was an ex- a cinematic examination of the nature of martial arts in, 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 a, in, a, in a movie concept. It right. was like this story is going to tell you, and there's actually some audio. If you look at Bruce Lee, the man of the Le- uh, Bruce Lee, the man of the legend, the documentary, you hear him talking in Cantonese. Yeah, it's on YouTube. Right, now, right, to, right. Yeah. About you know his you know the different segments of the story right. and if you read the script they're all in that that was probably from my perception the most realized of those projects wow. so potentially he might have done silent flute in the end and then he had another film green bamboo hero and then he was going to do a period film that was later actually if you want to see the character of the story it was made into a wonderful movie at Shaw brothers called a lady assassin okay. and that's a really that was him playing a real a historical figure, and probably his childhood friend Cho Yun, mm-hmm. who'd become a very good director in his own right at Shaw Brothers, um, kind of making a whole series of, uh, of movies, uh, kind of like wuxia martial martial movie adaptations. And, yeah. are, are those what uh, there's? Because there's those famous uh, famous photo shoot where he's he's kind of in that period yeah. costume stuff. I, but I heard there were two. There's one that he shot at Golden Harvest and then another one that he did at Shaw Brothers. Is that correct? I, You know what? I, I actually, I didn't know that he actually did one at Shaw Brothers. I thought mm-hmm. everything was at Golden Harvest, mm-hmm. but I, I'm quite prepared to be, told, to, be, to be proved wrong. But I actually looked at the, the pictures and it felt to me like it was just uh, not specific to a film. It was generically... Like they were testing out some costumes Yeah, to see how you look in... in, right. in like even in... in um, 
Fist of Fury, when mm-hmm. they started off in the opening credit sequence, you can see he's got his hair back, and then they changed that, and they had him in the bangs, because right. that look didn't work. Right. So they were saying what looks worked for him, and it was, he's just playing, from what I can see, playing dress-up, right. with the idea to doing a period film at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, I was talking about things that surprised me. I was disappointed, the speed with which he kind of went, okay, Raymond Chow was the guy that rolled the dice on me. He, we did these films. They were crazy successful. If they hadn't been successful, the Raymond would have swallowed the loss. Sure. Um, but how quickly Bruce was apparently at odds with Raymond on what they were doing and then was saying, oh, I'm going to film with Shaw Brothers, who were the bitter rival. That's where Raymond had left from right. to form Golden Harvest. So I don't know that it particularly speaks well of Bruce Lee that he would so quickly be, oh, now I'm going to do a Shaw Brothers movie. Um, I think he would have been better off to continue loyally working with Raymond right. and bring Raymond on to the American movies. Because um, really, apart from that willingness of Raymond Chow to roll the dice on Bruce Lee as a leading man, you have to wonder you know, how much more time there was. Yeah, right. I think the perception is that Bruce was upset because Raymond was slow boating his returns, from, from especially from Way of the Dragon. But I don't know, I don't know how accurate that well, is. Well, there's always this... I mean, whatever studio you work with, there's always the case that you look at the box office figures and the studio will say, well, we're using that money to pay off what it's cost to make the film, distribute the film. Right. And then the question, there's this dividing line of like the day-by-day running costs of the studio, how much of those are apportioned to Way of the Dragon? And then to what extent money is put into the system from a hit to make up for that that's gone to a flop. Right. So always you have that, to this day, that conflict and that was the conflict Bruce had with, with Raymond. Um, so I don't think Raymond Chow was any more or less, um, how do I want to say it, in a polite kind of way. He was, he was a straight shooter as much as anybody. Mm-hmm. But they're running a business. And when money came in, you'd kind of use it to keep the company afloat. Sure. When you lost money, you'd figure out ways to kind of survive. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were on the, verge, on the verge of bankruptcy before Bruce showed up. And he saved the company. But at the same time, I think Bruce was kind of like spinning his wheels in Hollywood until Raymond Chow said, OK, we're going to make you a star. Right. So it was a symbiotic relationship. Right, right, right. Now, before we uh, switch topics here, uh-huh. you, had, you had said that Bruce never really made a kung fu movie. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, I understand what you mean by that, but I thought maybe yeah. it would be good to explain to the audience what you mean, because he's kind of most people's introduction to kung fu films. Right. So. Well, I mean, to me, a kung fu movie was something more like Lao Gala was making at Shaw Brothers with the tiger and the crane or with uh, kung fu weapons and, you know, movements and choreographed, stylized, choreographed action based on traditional Chinese martial arts. And mm-hmm. Bruce never made those movies. Had he not gone back to America at the age of 18, there was already interest in signing him at Shaw Brothers. So he could have been... It's interesting because the two guys who did get signed were Dick Lung and Kung Dai Wai, who are like Bruce Lee split into two. Because mm-hmm. Dick Lung is muscular and did Wing Chun. And Kung Dai Wai is small and his parents were movie stars. So between the two of them, you get one Bruce Lee. Right. So, But anyway, when he came back, he did the movies he did. When you look at the action today, it's kind of stylized street fighting, cinematic stylized street fighting, which is why I think people claim him today as being the father of MMA. But even when he's playing the uh, Shaolin Monk and Enter the Dragon at the beginning, it's the prototype MMA match with Sammo yes. Hung. You never actually get to see him do anything that we would recognize as Shaolin Kung Fu. I mean, the nearest is when he gets into that range of combat, with Bob Baker, with Chuck Norris, with Bob Wall, you see the trapping. Mm-hmm. That's it. 
So had he lived, I think <coughs> Bruce would have, who was very knowledgeable about traditional Chinese martial arts, would have made a full-on kung fu movie. And I think it would have been amazing to see what he yeah, did absolutely. with kung fu. But yeah, yeah. I, I believe he did not make one. Yeah. So now, uh, segueing into another topic of interest for a lot sure. of our uh, listeners, the uh, Wing Chun films made at uh, Golden Harvest. Yes. So we'll talk first about the the first mm. big one, Warriors Two. Correct. And um, in, and kind of how how did Sammo uh, decide to pick Wing Chun for for this film for well, or for a project? To well, of course, his first movie um, as director and co-star, Iron Fisted Monk, had been a Hongar-based film. It was him and Chan Sing, and it was basically uh, Chan Sing plays the same character that Gordon Liu played in 36 Chamber of Shaolin. Mm. And he plays a character who's actually a subsidiary character in 36 Chamber of Shaolin. And it's a two handed movie. And originally, Sammo wanted Jackie Chan to play that part opposite Chan Sing. And he would just direct and choreograph. He, Sammo, would direct and choreograph. Mm -hmm. But at that time, Jackie was regarded as box office poison, and Raymond Chow said, don't use him. Just play it yourself. <laughs> so that was the first one. And it came out, and it was successful. But I think Jackie, uh, sorry, Sammo looked at this and was like, well, I'm always just going to be copying Lao Sifu, Lao Galeng, if I do Hong Ga. What other styles are there that have emerged from Shaolin? And then uh, there was a producer at Golden Harvest called Guy Lai, who had been a, a longtime Wing Chun uh, devotee. And somebody said, oh, there's this guy Lai, and he knows Wing Chun. So Samo was like, because um, apart from the fact that Bruce Lee's teacher was Yip Man, and he did Wing Chun, um, I don't know that it was as widely known as it is now, without video, without, you know, if you're in the Kung Fu circle, you might know about it, but the broader public perhaps were not as widely aware. Right. So Samo was like, okay, show me Wing Chun. So then Guy Lai came in and showed the forms, showed the weapons, showed the trapping, showed the chi sao, showed all the things that are Wing Chun. And then Sammo, with that beautiful mind he has, looked at it and goes, okay, I see how we can tell. And then it also Guy Lai told him the whole history. So you have Leung Zhan, you have Zhao Qinhua, Money Changer, you know, Chan Hua Sun. Right. And so that set Sammo's mind working. Okay, that's a good story. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk about, you know, how Leung Zhan is this master in Fatsan, takes on a student, Leung Jan dies, and then, you know, the, the student and his fellows take revenge. And that, that was the story. Mm -hmm. um, but it was really adapting what, uh, he, what he had seen Guy Lai do and trying to do something different mm -hmm. from what Lao Sifu was doing over at Shaw Brothers. Now, what is the, because uh, you've obviously also made films before yes. and you've done choreography and... Mm. Uh, what are the... Because I always get a lot of complaints from Wing Chun people. How come they don't see more Wing Chun in films? I'm like, well, we have a lot of Wing Chun movies now, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Wing Chun is kind of difficult to make... It's difficult to make it look good on camera. And can you explain maybe to people who don't know why something that's otherwise quite dynamic and fist fighting might not sell on, on the screen? Well, I think um, if we look at just, you know, I think the preeminent choreographer of... Um, Wing Chun movie fighting has been Samuel Hung. Um, and that's no disrespect to Yin Wah Ping, who took over the Yip Man movies with Donnie Yen. But then um, it's interesting when you go back to um, Warriors 2 and then Prodigal Son, which, is, uh, with, uh, uh, which was his second right. major Wing Chun film, he kind of like uh, his, he went upriver. So when you see that incredible extended shot where Lam Ching Ying is fighting in, Warrior, in, in Prodigal Son, he's using snake, he's using crane, because according to the, you know, the mystery, the, the kind of the creation myth of Wing Chun, it's right. like, oh, this nun saw a fight between a snake and a crane. Right. So Samo took that 
and gave us the literal expression of that in film. So that's, I think, why when traditional Hong Kong Wing Chun people see um, these movies, though they might enjoy them, they might say, oh, that doesn't really have, that doesn't look like right. the Wing Chun that we do. And then I think when he was brought back on for Yip Man many years later, he's showing more the Hong Kong Yip Man Wing Chun right. in a more, um, in a more uh, recognizable manner. And it looks a lot more like what people might be doing with Wing Chun today. Sure. So I think that was the evolution. And it was just like, also, he's the first two films are actually set in Fatsan. <clears throat> and I think that he has a sense that um, there's like a common Shaolin ancestor. And from that descends Hungar and Wing Chun and all these arts. So he's kind of showing that. So I think that was why the earlier films probably people would take more issue with. Um, and then the later films, I think the Yip Man movies have been great um, advertisements for people to go and do classical Wing Chun training. Um, later, maybe they, I think the fighting stayed sharp and was very well executed. But then you had him fighting Mike Tyson, him going to America and fighting the US Army. I mean, I think <laughs> next he'll be fighting aliens. Right. So, you know, that element kind of went a bit, you know, into the realm of fantasy. But when you break down the fight scenes, they were always right. great. Yeah. Yeah, I had once uh, made a post on Facebook because uh, someone asked me about how accurate the Yip Man stories are com compared to his, the actual real history of Yip yeah. Man. I said, well, yeah, this this, and this is different or whatever. And one of my friends who does Hong Kong, he goes, now you know how we feel about all the Wong Fei Hong films. Because right. I th I, Wong Fei Hong is probably the, the real... Kung Fu Master has had the most film Correct. depictions, yes. right? And uh, so you also practice Hong Kong. Correct. Um, is there a Hungar film that that has a shred of factual history to it? Uh, or one that you could say, well, this is kind of true in terms of the historical... Well, I, I think the black and white ones with Quan Ta Hing. Ones. When I first mm -hmm. moved to Hong Kong, I would stay <laughs> up late at night and record them uh, on TV, from TV, and watch them at the same time. And they were very much almost like documentaries because um, his the son of Wong Fei Hong and his last wife uh, was, was there kind of like were um, observing and advising on the early Wong Fei Hong films. Mm -hmm. And uh, Quan Ta Hing was very much cut from the same cloth as the real Wong Fei Hong. Right. And you saw, and the people like uh, Lao Jia, the, uh, the, the father of Lao Ga Leng, was in the movie playing Lam Sai Wing. And he had known uh, Wong Fei Hong and he'd known Lam Sai Wing. So there was a sense that these people had first-hand knowledge, and that was reflected in the mm -hmm. film. And in the earlier films, the later black and white films got away a bit from this, but in the earlier films, they would cut to a genuine kung fu master just demonstrating a form. Right. Whether it was the eight diagram pole or the, or the double whips or whatever, and you had uh, Chan Hong Chong and all these different people, uh, great masters of that era, on film. So I would say those films, and even the challenge matches and the incidences happening and the fact that you had Bo Chi Lam was in Fat San and it was like a school run by Wong Fei Hong and all right. those characters. I think that was as close as one could come to w how life was because there were so many people on those sets, uh, like Mok Gwai Lan, who mm -hmm. was the last wife of Wong Fei Hong, who would tell them, this is how it was, this is how it was. And then I think progressively things moved away. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I met Choi Hak in Hong Kong, a long time before he did the Jet Li Wong Fei Hong film. He told me he'd seen um, the, 
the Giorgio Moroder remake of uh, Metropolis when mm. they put all the music and everything on top of it. And he says, yeah, I want to do that with a Wong Fei-Hung film. But the way he was saying it was he was going to get an actual black and white Quan Tat Hing Wong Fei-Hung film uh -huh. and do groovy things with it, with right. the music and everything. But I think he did. But that was Wong Fei-Hung with uh, Jet Li, mm -hmm. um, where they completely moved away from anything resembling Hong Ga or Southern Fist um, because they just thought it was more interesting and exciting. Right. And actually it was Iron Monkey, Tip uh, Malau, which Donnie did with, Donnie Yen did with Yin Wah Ping, where they found a way to do the Hungar in the modern setting, you know, with right. all the movements without it looking too cliche or, or old. Right. Yeah. It, I heard it was quite controversial when they picked uh, Jet Li to play Wong Fei Hung, mainly because, well, he was a mainlander who didn't speak Cantonese. He wasn't, you know, known as someone who knew Southern martial arts. Was that was that true or is that just, I mean... I think it was a bigger issue, <clears throat> which was that pretty much everything he had done after Shaolin Temple had flopped. Oh. And he had actually done an expensive film called The Master in America. San Francisco. Correct. Right. And it had been unreleased for a long time. Golden Harvest decreed it as unreleasable. And it was actually only released after Once Upon a Time in China. Uh -huh. And it tells you something about, I don't know what it tells you about Choi Hark or Golden Harvest or whatever, but that in the wake of that, when he should have been in like the equivalent of Hollywood jail, Hong Kong jail, <laughs> he goes back to Golden Harvest and says, okay, you know what? That movie we did, yeah, that's been shelved. Then maybe that doesn't work, but I've got a better idea. Same actor playing Wong Fei Hung, and we're going to do this film, we're going to do it in Hong Kong, and it'll be this, that, and the other. And it's going to be wow. obviously expensive, and Golden Harvest is going, okay, we'll go with it. Wow, that's interesting. And I that, didn't think about that. Because, yeah, those were all turkeys he kind of made after Everything, Shaolin Dragon Temple. Fight with, with right. in San Francisco with Stephen Chow, yeah. and, and, and then and the, the Master. Ma I remember the, every, everywhere he went in San Francisco, everyone, all the thugs knew Wu Shu yeah, <laughs> were attacking yeah, 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 him, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, those films today, when you look back on them, particularly uh, Martial Arts of Shaolin, the film he did with Lao Ga yeah. I think it's a fantastic film. Yes. But they just were not very commercially successful. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure why, but they just weren't. And so it says a lot for Golden Harvest, and it says a lot for Choi Hart that he could go in and say, hey, we're going to do Once Upon a Time in China. Now, I think what, um, what happened, they started off with uh, Lao Ga Wing, the brother of Lao Ga Lang, as the choreographer. And he started doing much more grounded um, kung fu fighting. And Choi kept pushing and pushing and pushing and going, no, I want it to be more extravagant. I want it to be more like opera. I want it to be more like the Northern style. And of course, Lao Ga Wing, that's not his thing. Right. So he was replaced by uh, Yun Shen Yi, the brother of Yun Wu Ping. Uh, and then it was, sorry, it was, he was replaced by Yun Chen Yan, the brother of Yun Wu Ping. And then uh, Yun Sifu took over, and then it was kind of, Yun Wu Ping helped out as well. And then it became all the wire foo and all right. of the stuff that people reacted to. Right. But the Hong was kind of minimal. I mean, it was just like, that was a secondary consideration. Right. That said, I think what was interesting about it was the the fact that Choi brought out something in... To me, what, what I love about those films, and it might sound strange for me as a kung fu guy, is the love story. The way that they carry this very mature love story between uh, Jet Li's character and, and uh, Sam Sap Yi, uh, 13th Aunt, played right. by Re Rosamund Kwan, Rosamund Kwan Ji Lam, through three films and resolve it. Um, I think is wonderful, and I very always when I watch the films, I love to see that performance. Um, 
other than the normal thing, which is Kung Fu guy as fighting machine. Mm -hmm. So you had all of that. He was obviously very effective in Kung Fu, but then he was incredibly clumsy and in this odd familial relationship with, uh, with right. Rosamund Kwan's character. Right. So I think the films really stand up as pieces of Hong Kong cinema, but they had moved completely away from the identity of Wong Fei-Hong as a Hong Kong practitioner. Mm -hmm. So many people are confused about basics in Wing Chun Chi Sao. Some view it as a collection of moves, and masters confuse their own students by talking of principles and concepts without telling them what's what. The 15 Chi Sao Fundamentals is my attempt at explaining Wing Chun Chi Sao from a perspective of principles, but also with the basic techniques required to express those principles. It shows the framework for Hong Kong Wing Chun Chi Sao, in particular, the training of Pun Sao and Lap Da. This is necessary training before going on to the higher and more spontaneous expressions of Chi Sao. Right now, if you use the code KFG Chi Sao, you can get a signed copy of my book for the price of the unsigned one. Click on the link in the description below and use the code KFG Chi Sao at checkout to get a signed copy of this full color, over 230 page manual on the vital foundational training exercise of Wing Chun. This offer is good while supplies last, so get yours today. Uh, so now I want to talk about the second Wing Chun yes. movie, uh, which you have a personal connection to. Right. It was your first time or one of the early trips you made to Hong Kong. You were on the set Correct. of yeah. The Prodigal Son. That's so right. what was that like? Oh, my God. I mean, I was a naive, skinny 19-year-old from England. And I just uh, landed in Hong Kong. And really, all I knew about Kung Fu cinema at that time was uh, Bruce Lee. And I had seen, I think, whatever Jackie films like, uh, Cannibal Run and Battle, Battle Creek Brawl had okay. been in theaters and I don't think there was in my memory not even video at that time mm -hmm. so I wasn't really aware of Jackie Chan I knew he was the new guy but I hadn't seen a lot of his work and then when I came to Hong Kong I actually um, went to Golden Harvest Studios and just walked up the big stone <laughs> incline and then walked onto the darkened sound stage wow. and watched what they were doing. And it was a scene, actually, they, I think it was cut from the finished film. It was, there was a, well, maybe, maybe I need to look at it again and remember, but there was like a kind of a teeter-totter kind of wooden dummy thing for training your, you know, jumsa or whatever it was. Uh -huh. And what looked to me, the middle-aged old Chinese guy was using it. And this, of course, was Samo. And I just stood on the sidelines watching for a while. And then Barry Wong, who was the screenwriter and one of the few people who spoke English, came over and said, what do you want? And I said, oh, I'm from England. and I love Kung Fu. And, you know, I, I love Bruce Lee. And, and, uh, and then he introduced me to Samo, introduced me to Yun Biu. And I was just like, I've always been very lucky when it came to Kung Fu because it could have been a really bad movie. Sure. It could have been a non-Kung Fu movie. But instead, it was the greatest Kung Fu movie of all time. So, Bai Gatai, you know, Prodigal Son. So then, uh, yeah, I would just go back and come on the set and take a look and watch what they were doing and talk to Samo about, with an interpreter, obviously, about Bruce Lee. And then he wanted to hang out in the evening, so we would go out sometimes. Wow. And it was just an amazing experience. And people said to me, like, why did you come back and live in Hong Kong? I'm like, well, after you've had that as your introductory experience, <laughs> why would you not want to? Sure. But I was quite level-headed. I, I didn't quite know what my, at that time, what my place would be. I knew I'd had a kind of a, they'd been very respectful and kind to me, but I didn't know what I'd do day by day beyond that. So mm -hmm. it took a while to come back to live in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. But that was the first experience. And then I came back to England and had, uh, was aware of the fact there was this theater in London called the Hong Kong Cultural Center. And I walked by and I saw the poster for Prodigal Son to recognize the people, obviously, wow. went in and see the film. Now, 
I think even today, when you look at the Blu-ray, when you look at these films, you know, on your phone or your <laughs> watch, even you know, these days, it's still amazing. Yes. But if the last thing you'd seen is like Bruce Lai goes to New Guinea, or <laughs> you know, Joe Lewis and Jaguar lives, or whatever, this is what you'd seen after Bruce Lee, and you go into the theater and you're like, what? And then I saw all the other ones. And Drunken Master, Snake in the Shadow, blah, 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 all those other films. And I came out, but they were only in the theaters. They weren't on video. So I used to tell people about them and act them out, and people just didn't believe me. They said, no, after Bruce Lee died, everything sucked. And right. I'm like, no, no, they're great. They're not like Bruce Lee, but they're different and amazing. Right. And uh, it was really, a vi in, in, in England, I think it was a video-based phenomenon. Mm -hmm. when, people could, when you could show people the video and sit down with them and say, look at this, then they actually would believe you. But for the longest time, I think they thought I went to the theater and fell asleep and dreamt of these movies because <laughs> there was no way to prove it. Right, right. So so you believe that uh, Prodigal Son is the best kung fu film? Or, I, think I know it's always hard to say no, what the I best mean, is. No, I mean, I always cite that because people ask me the question, but I do think it is an amazing piece. Again, um, as I said with Once Upon a Time in China, I think that when you have a film that... Um, simultaneously has absolutely cutting-edge martial art action scenes, but also has characters that you care about yeah. and actually has really beautiful drama scenes as well that uh, the whole experience is so enhanced. Um, otherwise, it can be like a stunt reel. Right. You know? But to me, when I look at Prodigal Son, the relationships between the different figures are so touching and so well executed and the performances are so wonderful. Um, and it's like, you know, it's like an opera when they give somebody an aria, like when Samo's character is introduced doing the calligraphy. I mean, it's just wonderful. They just stop the plot. And you can imagine, maybe in Hollywood, that would be a deleted scene or somebody would say, well, do we really have to have him dancing around doing calligraphy for <laughs> five minutes? You know, we had that actually when I worked on Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon 2. Yin Warping wanted to do a calligraphy scene and the studio said, no, nobody's going to be interested. So that was wonderful about that era that someone like Samo could go, okay, I'm going to introduce my character. What would be fun? I know, I'll do calligraphy. Well, I think it was well-timed too because the previous scene was like pretty violent yeah. and uh, had was a pretty sharp tonal change for the rest of the movie and I think he needed to create a little yeah. bit of a break to introduce the, the, the last part there. But there's that, that one shot in the fight when they're destroying, attacking and burning the, the, the opera theater where Lam Ching Ying takes everybody on. And it always amazed me when you look at how incredibly well he fights in that yes. sequence that he was never called on to do so again. It's right. so odd. They just had that one brief moment of glory and then no one ever looked at him the same way. Even, you know, he's obviously more famous for playing Gong Sisenzan, Mr. Vampire. But the Mr. Vampire films don't really have martial arts action to speak of. Right. But for some reason, no one ever looked at that movie and said, you know what, we should do another movie with Lam Ching Ying. And yeah, he was so stuff. fantastic in that. that. That fight scene was amazing. His ability, to, you know, the short range punching, yeah. the way he did it. And and he also faced adversity. He wasn't just like this like ass kicker who easily no. beat everyone. It was like a very intense fight there's scene. A, there's a great deleted scene. Well, I haven't seen it, but if I could only see one deleted scene in film history, if you remember, I, mean, I think you've probably seen Prodigal Son a bunch of times, right? A few times, If yes. you remember the, the beginning, he's training with these two... Um, kind of like bogus instructors. Le Hoi San. Right, Le Hoi San and, yeah. uh, and, and uh, Sleeping Wizard and they kind of like uh, beat him up at the end. Right. And then at the end, at the end of the movie, in the original cut, he comes back to Fat San and then he encounters them and he beats them up using his newly learned Wing Chun. Uh -huh. And then they're going back when they meet Frankie Chan later. 
and they tell Frankie Chan after they get beat up by Dick Way, oh, you should go down and talk to oh, okay. Leung Chan. So the, I've seen the stills from that scene, the, the deleted scene. Interesting. But I've never seen the scene itself. And I always thought, wow, that's a shame. I wish somebody would have preserved that. Right, right. So uh, now we talk about the uh, last topic I want to talk about today is uh, Donnie Yen. Yes. Uh, and how I think a lot of people, at least in the Western world, first saw him in the Yip Man movies. Yeah. But they don't realize that he actually had a pretty long career. Oh, with a lot of ups and downs before, yeah. so how did how did Donnie Yen get started? What what was his first film? Was it well, Drunken his, Tai Chi? Yes, his uh, well actually he did, he did stunts previous to that on um, I think it was Miracle Fighters Two. Uh, he was a student of his mother, Bao Sim Mark, who was an absolute pioneer in terms of bringing Tai Chi, Mantis, and uh, Wushu into America, and she was teaching in Boston. And uh, she's kind of like a kung fu actress monke. She, she, I think, would have been a great Cheng Pei Pei kind of character. Mm-hmm. But she moved to America, married, had kids. So she just had a different life. But then when Donnie was like 18, 19, he went to Beijing to train in Wushu. And on the way back, he's in Hong Kong. And because of his mother's connection, his uh, one of Yun Ping's sisters was a student of Yun uh, Bao Sim Mark. Oh, okay. And Bao Sim Mark said, hey, you should tell your brother, my son is like 19. He could be like the new Jackie Chan or whatever. He could be the new action star. So then Donnie came in, did a demo. Yin Ping liked him and they cast him in uh, Drunken Tai Chi, Siu Tai Gek, and then Mismatch Couples, the Breakdance movie. And he, um, as you correctly say, was kind of just the, the next guy for the longest time. Um, but I think there was a perception that he was always the spice of somebody else's stew. Mm-hmm. That if you put him in a movie like Once Upon a Time in China 2 as the nemesis for Jet Li or Hero as the, as the opponent of Jet Li, it'd be great. But if you put him in a movie where he himself was starring, like Iron Monkey, the box office would be underwhelming. Mm-hmm. So that was I- Iron a Monkey didn't do well. Not in Hong was... Kong. Wow, it did well on a... the Miramax reissue. So many people love that film. Yeah. That's well, that's true. There's a lot of wonderful... I mean, this massive flop for Sammo, Blade of Fury, which I love that film. I've seen it so many times. It's in my 36 Chambers of Kung Fu Cinema books. But um, a lot of the times, Hong Kong audiences turn away from stuff that becomes a cult film. A Story of Ricky, Lick Wong, Eastern Condors. These films underperformed, but globally they had a massive following. So Donnie took a while, and then um, we became very good friends uh, in the 90s, I guess. You know, to this day, maintained a very close friendship. And I was always a big booster of his. And people would say, understandably, I guess, you know, oh, he'll never make it, he'll never make it. It'd be like when Bruce Lee was knocking around Hollywood. People were like, oh, he'll never make it. And then guess what, right? right. I always had faith. I always, well, I always felt two things. I thought Donnie definitely had the potential to make it as a leading actor, as a leading martial arts actor, if he had the right character, mm-hmm. a character of his own. But he was always kind of second fiddle. Like it was like, okay, Jackie did Police Story and he was doing In the Night of Duty. And Jackie did Drunken Master, he was doing Drunken Tai Chi. And Jet Li did Wong, Wong Fei Hong and he was doing Iron Monkey. He needed his own, his own character. Right. But I also felt that if all else failed, he could um, have had a very have had a very successful career as a choreographer and as a um, as a director as a director of films I mean that he had that ability that not all, not all actors do not all action actors do mm-hmm. to actually create choreography for films so I thought he could make it no matter what so we were 
I, I didn't have a, a, th a thought in my mind of like, well, I, I should hitch my wagon to his because I'll make money as well. We were friends and I wanted him to do well. Sure. And then um, he, I was at a film company called Emperor and uh, we did a film called The Medallion with Jackie Chan. And in the wake of that, Emperor actually said to me, okay, you can produce another film for us. Which one do you want to do? And they gave me a whole... Uh, like a kind of like a number of movies. There was one called a High Speed Saitama, which was a car chase movie. One was one of those Japanese Shanghai espionage movies. Mm -hmm. And one was called The Twins Effect. And it was these two pop stars called The Twins. They weren't yes. twins. Like they were not, right. you know, real sisters. But they were these two girls. They were going to make their first film fighting vampires. So I said, this is the one. We should do this. Um, and then I... Uh, the director, you know, was already, Dante Lam was already assigned and everything on board. And I said, we should bring Donnie Yen back from L.A. to choreograph the film. And there was a lot of resistance at the time because he was not somebody perceived as being, you know, au courant. You know, he was not like popular or working at the time. And I said, look, he's just done choreography for this film Blade, Blade 2, with Wesley Snipes, where Blade, where, you know, Wesley Snipes is fighting vampires. And he just did a movie choreography for film Princess Blade in... Japan, where he has this young Japanese pop idol doing martial arts with a sword. And actually, the, the English name of that movie, the Japanese name of the movie is uh, Snow White with a Sword. Uh, but it's called Princess Blade in English. And I said, this is our movie because it's like, in our case, two pop idols fighting vampires. So let's put them together. And it was kind of a Raymond Chow situation because I went in to see the head of the company and um, uh, Albert Young. And he says, you know, kind of, and he was a, he's a real high roller. He was a guy, he was, he, if you said yes, it was yes, no, nobody dared to challenge him. And I said, I really believe if we do this, that um, the film will succeed because we need to do something special with the action. And he says, what makes you confident? And I, I'd edited together the Blade 2 vampire fighting scenes and the scenes from Princess Blade. I played them for him and he just, Afterwards, he looked at me and said, yeah, go ahead, let's do the deal. Wow. So when he said yes, nobody did say no. So then we got Donnie to come back and, uh, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> it did indeed do amazing action and it won Best Action that year at the wow. Film Awards. And then Donnie was back. And that's kind of a long-winded preamble. But after he came back, he started realizing his potential, both in front of and behind the camera. And you got Sarpolong and Seven Swords and, you know... and. It was still more of a success esteem. The films were, were popular. They did okay. Mm -hmm. But he hadn't really broken out. And then um, there was a long-time agreement between Yip Chun, the son of Yip Man, and Wong Kar-wai, the great art house director, to do a film about uh, Yip Man, which was to be called The Grand Master, Yat Doi Jong Si, like the, the great master of a generation. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> I've been hearing about it over the years because I worked with Kawai on um, Blueberry Nights and other projects. I worked with him as an actor on 2046. So perennially, I'd heard about this. You were in 2046? I was. And then you know, playing, a, playing a, the boyfriend of uh, Zhang Ziyi oh, in one scene. All so right. that was my first introduction to the, the Wong Kawai experience. Yeah. And then I was working at a company, a studio in America when we did Blueberry Nights. And then later worked with him uh, releasing the eventual grandmaster. Mm. But prior to this, I'd been talking to him, and even 
he described scenes from the film long before the film was made and described how he would have uh, Lao Galeng uh, in the movie. And of course, in the end, it was uh, Lao Gaiyong, the nephew mm-hmm. of Lao Galeng. But anyway, there was long, long gestation period. And Yip Chun got fed up and he basically said, look, I think I'll be dead before this film comes <laughs> out. So can we do something in the meantime? So he, his student, uh, Sing Lam, who's a friend of mine who was like a producer, a very sincere kung fu player, a producer, and also somebody with access to financing, right. went to Wong Kar Wai and they, they brokered a deal where they said that Wong Kar Wai would do a film about Yip Man, the man, and <laughs> Singh Lam would do a film about him, the martial artist, okay. Yip Man, the martial artist. Anyway, so at that time, the, um, they, they then wanted to put this film together and get it out before Wong Kar Wai finished The Grandmaster, which was going to star Tony Leung, Leung mm-hmm. Chiwai, who was mm-hmm. a huge star, has been a huge star for many years. And so initially they went to Andy Lau, and Andy Lau was, uh, Andy Lau Datwa, he was scared off because he said, I don't want to compete with Tony Leung, I don't want to compete with Wong Kar Wai. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Wong Batming, who was uh, uh, Raymond Wong, who was going to be a producer on the Yip Man movie, he goes, well, look, I've got this contract with Donnie Yen, and we've done everything but the last film. So it'll, it'll only cost you what we owe you know, whatever it was for the contract oh. to have Donnie. And Jet Li has just made this film at Movie Maker, I think Image Maker Studios in Shanghai for a film, he did a film called Fearless, Fought Young Up, and he's left all the sets standing so we can film there. And uh, the only expensive item is Samo, but let's get him because he's so good at doing uh, Wing Chun. And originally Samo had a cameo at the beginning of uh, Yip Man, which I actually have seen that, is when they're fighting in the, uh, they're fighting in, the, it's actually, there's a very similar scene in Tai Chi Master, the old Jet Li movie, mm-hmm. but Samo and, uh, Samo's character, who is a much more benevolent Kung Fu master than he would be in when he played Yip Man too, mm-hmm. is fighting with Yip Man. And in the, just as they start to fight, somebody runs up and says, Yip Man, you know, your, your wife just had a baby. And then you see him riding off through the fields. That was the original opening. Oh, interesting. And then they cut it out. And the reason it's not been ever included on the deleted scenes on any Blu-ray or anything is because if you did, you'd have to pay Samo. (laughs) 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 So he, of course, did a fantastic job choreographing the film. And Yip Man, finally, it was interesting because, I mean, I cited this the other day, this story about how Clint Eastwood had bought the script for uh, Unforgiven years before he made the movie mm-hmm. because he felt he wasn't old enough to play the lead character in Unforgiven. Mm. So um, he kind of like waited until he grew into the role. I was present at a meeting 10 years earlier than Yip Man with Stephen Chow, Chow Sing Chi and Donnie Yen mm-hmm. and a, a lady producer called Kirsty Liu who had done a very nice little film called Ma Jong Dragon, Ma, Ma Jok Fei Long, which I really liked with uh, Su Fong Fong and mm-hmm. Vincent Zhao. And then they did another film after that, which was a remake of uh, Hat Mui Gwai, Black Rose, mm. which were these kind of like Jane Bond movies they used to do. And they remade it, and it was a big flop. Okay. But before that film came out, which flopped and killed the company, they were going to do a Yip Man movie. And Stephen Chow and Donnie Yen, one of them was going to play Yip Man, and one of them was going to play Bruce Lee. Wow. And the meeting was to decide. And I, to this day, cannot remember what way it came down, uh-huh. who was going to be aged up and who was going to do this and who that. My memory, my instincts are actually that they came down to Stephen Chow was going to do Yip Man and Donnie was going to do Bruce Lee. But I may be wrong. But that, I think, would not have worked because I think by the time Donnie did Yip Man, he'd been through all the things you mentioned, the ups and downs of life, which the character in the film does. Mm-hmm. And he had been married, had children, 
all the things that make Yip Man interesting. I think the great thing, the reason the first Yip Man film was such a massive, unexpected success is women really wanted to see it because they saw in him this character, the perfect man, this guy who respects his wife, mm-hmm. uh, learns how to be a good father and um, can fight when necessary and protect them. But even undergoes this humiliating sacrifice during the war years to keep the family fed. Most martial art heroes are not like that. Right. So I think that was part of the appeal of Yip Man. And Donnie had grown into the role. So what I posited in the past, that he needed a role that defined him, that was it. Yip Man was that role. Wow. And that, that's why it became he became this huge success that right. he did. So at the time of this recording, there's been some kind of announcement or poster for a Yip Man 5. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't want to give too much away, but I'm curious what what... what how they can make a five after the story in four. I have no, I have no, uh, I haven't called and asked him, so uh-huh. I don't really have any inside story of how um, Yip Man five will be. Right. If you ask me what they should do, the film I have never seen is a serious film showing the relationship between Yip Man and Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. And they had a script for that. Uh, which was going to be Yip Man 3. Yes, Yip Man 3, I think. And I read the script and thought it was wonderful. But then they completely went away and did the whole thing with Mike Tyson right. and all the other stuff. But I think um, they would have been better off doing Yip Man 3 with that script, which was more realistic and showed you the bond between Bruce Lee and Yip Man up until the time Bruce Lee leaves for America. Sure. And you know Bruce, and there's a great. There was a great dialogue scene at the end when you know Yip Man says to Bruce Lee, "Nobody knows the length of years a man might have, but you, but life is like length and width, and you know how long it is and how wide it is. Nobody knows, but maybe that life can be deep, and the depth of your life is what people remember." It was a wonderful scene, and uh, they moved away from that. I think the though I enjoyed them hugely, mm-hmm. I felt the Yip Man, the Yip Men, <laughs> the Yip became Man. more cartoony. Sure, and. If they, if they do a Yip Man 5, I think it's like the Bonds and lots of these franchises, they go so far out, you suddenly go, wait a minute, let's bring it back. Mm-hmm. We should make it human again. Right. And then audiences go, yeah, yeah, this is what we want. Uh, I think that's what they do with Yip Man. By the way, I know, uh, this is another thing, it's in my books, but I, you know, I don't know if you're probably aware of this, but Yip Man 2, originally there was a great sequence that was meant to be in the film different to what's in the film now which was that yip man is you know basically impoverished and broke in hong kong and he's offered by a friend to go and work as a movie extra and he goes to the studio and there's a guy there uh, choreographing the action for one of those wong fei hong films and it's lao jam the father of lao ga Leng. And they find out they're both from Fatsan. And then Lao Ga Leng is the top guy because he's just Hong Ga. And then he says, what do you do? Oh, Wing Chun. Oh, okay, so let's have a match. So they have this match at the studio. So it was a whole different sequence. And I remember uh, Donnie calling me and um, I was in a ca- taxi. And he was describing it to me. <clears throat> and we got to my destination. And I just said to the cab driver, keep driving. <laughs> you want to hear more? Yeah, I didn't right. want to. I didn't. I didn't want to have a, any break sure. in hearing the story. Wow! So I just wow. wanted him to keep telling me the story, and I'm really happy because, um, probably other than it being in my mind and my imagination and me talking about it, that alternate version, that alternate reality, 
Um, you know, so I, I would love to go into alternate um, kung fu reality, like where George Lazenby carried on as James Bond, right. like when all these things happened that should have happened, right, in films. What would have happened? I almost want to see uh, the Wong Yu version of Big Boss with Bruce Lee, where he did fight and fight and fight and fight and fight all the way through the film. Because I love watching Bruce Lee fight. Yes. I don't like so much when he's, when he's waiting to fight. Mm -hmm. I want to see him fight the whole time. So I was like, kind of, if it was like Chinese boxer with Wong Yu, mm -hmm. then um, that would have been an alternate movie universe. I'd like to see that as well. All right. So I don't know. I'd just like to interject. It's yes. been absolutely fascinating so far. I think Yip Man Fire should be like Alien Resurrection. <laughs> <laughs> I actually joked about it, the fact that the only the final frontier for, for Yip Man now must be to fight some alien invader yes like predator with a predator with yet man <laughs> yet man versus predator would but be i think sense. as you correctly say by inferring i don't think show it but inferring in yet man 4 that yet man has cancer and he's going to die soon die at some point in the near future right. um the only way you can do it is to go back in in time a and so right. uh just do a film where you show an aspect of yet man's life that hasn't been and i don't know why Nobody's done that. I mean, respect to Danny Chan playing, you know, this kind of very... Yeah, Danny Chan in the movies plays Bruce Lee as a character from Bruce Lee movies. Right, right. What you need is somebody to do like what Jason Scott Lee did, where it's like, okay, I'm going to play Bruce Lee as a human being mm -hmm. with all the fears and foibles and right. angers and everything. Um, I actually thought Arif, Arif Lee did a decent job. I in, he did too. Yeah. Bruce Lee and my brother. I think that right. that film was overlooked. But if you had somebody like him opposite Donnie, I think they could really do something interesting and just just strip it back down again. Sure. But I have no I mean, other than they're going to watch your podcast because I'm sure Donnie's a big fan. I don't think <laughs> uh, you know. I have no no insights into that at all. He's clearly not a big fan because we still don't have the um, the video. <laughs> oh, you don't? No, we don't have the video that like advertises that people should, you know, come and train at City Wing Chan. And we also don't have the mug that goes with the box. Sorry. <laughs> I'll get on that as soon as this call finishes, I'll... As soon as this podcast finishes, I'll make some calls. <laughs> and we'll straighten it out. It's so, probably me. Last thing before we're yeah, out of sure. here. Uh, so some of my podcast listeners are just kind of Wing Chun practitioners or maybe yeah. Bruce Lee fans, and they don't have a broad depth of knowledge of Hong Kong cinema. So right. let's say someone has not watched many Hong Kong films. So five films, oh, or maybe wow. a mix of some classical, modern action. So if there were five films that should be everyone's starter who doesn't know anything, okay, uh, what what would you say? A nice kind of from from old to new and mix of genres. Okay. Not to put you on the spot, but no, I'm about no, to no, put no, you on absolutely. the spot. <laughs> well, I mean, um, one movie. Uh, if you're just going to an introductory film showing 1970s action and very clearly defined kung fu fighting action there's a, an obscure film by angela mao called the tournament which samo choreographed and i was showing some of the guys the other day some footage from that and they were going whoa haven't seen that before i think that's an, an obscure movie um i think you have to look at fist of fury because you want to see bruce lee sure. doing his thing and then um when you go to uh the interim era which is kung fu comedy i would say Drunken Master still holds up very well. Yes. With, uh, with, uh, and I think um, I almost, in terms of showing classical martial arts, I respect Jet Li, but not necessarily because of his depicting classical martial arts. But I think in the modern era, um, the movie that really encapsulated a lot of very, very beautiful classical kung, kung fu technique in a new way was uh, Iron Monkey. I think that was really good. And then um, I, 
I love the expression of the spirit of it. I thought the Grand Master, which I was to some degree involved with, but I adore the movie. Um, I'm so disappointed because right before that, I had worked with Choi Hark on the American release of Seven Swords. And he said, well, you know, I deleted kind of half the movie. And so I looked at the deleted footage and was like, holy moly, this is such an incredible... Actually, I said, holy crap. But it was like such an amazing... Um, extra half of the film right. and he should have done a Kill Bill with it he should have made part one and part two and I don't know there was reasons why he was not allowed to do so but it would have been amazing and the second thing was um, that he uh, then I went to Wong Kar Wai and said can you show me all the deleted stuff from Grandmaster because the same is true of that as well that wow. there's another half of that film that's never really been seen, you know, Incredible. lots of ex- fight at the railway station, the original fight out uh, on the railway platform between Zhang Yi and Tony Leung, um, loads of footage that just didn't make it wow. into the final cut. They'll, they'll release it, you know, like um, uh, Carwise company is very smart that way. They do these reissues perennially and they'll do one in due course, which I can't wait to see it myself. Right. But there's a lot of it, actually, if you look at the trailers and stuff, there's a lot of footage that's not in the films. Yes. That there was a fight, there, there's a fight in the, an elevator that they kind of repurposed the idea for one of the Donnie Yen films. Mm-hmm. And then there's the the one that I always love, which is a lot of footage floating around on the trailers, which is <coughs> him fighting actually in the waiting room at the railway station. Wow. So. All right. Well, hey, Bay, thank you so much. This pleasure. was absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for Here at for the Marshall Club. Yes. Yeah, and so uh, if anyone wants to get a hold of your book, so the sub- where's the best uh, way to get a hold of com, and uh, you know, look, at, look for us on uh, Instagram. We are HK Marshall Club. And then also on uh, Facebook, uh, me, as me, myself, Bay Logan, and also uh, with Marshall Club. So, and and uh, so uh, are very easy to find, to reach out to. My email is bay, B-E-Y, at realeast.com. So you can write questions, praises, curses. I'll take, <laughs> I'll take whatever. At this stage of my life, I'll take whatever I can get. But anyway, thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you. All right, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Kung Fu Genius. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Kung Fu Genius. Hit that bell for notifications. And if you have any ideas for a future episode of the KFG, go ahead and put those in the comments below. And as always, I'll see you guys next time. Word is I'm a Kung Fu Genius. Technique speaks for me, not lineage. Forget Jet Li, cause I'm the one. Many call me Sifu, but to you I'm Seagung. And I produce masters. You surpassed us. Your Kung Fu stiffer than corpse and caskets. City Wing Chung is the house I built. Violate the gate and your blood gets spilt. Alex Richter, always the victor. Max Seafood just turned up. <sighs> yes, I've got this. We're doing this, right? Okay, <laughs> before you carry on, could you point your mic a little bit towards because you're talking above it a little bit. Talking so above it? The mic He's talking down you. to me. I'm used to that. <laughs> uh, no, we're all used How's to that. that. Is that good? <laughs> That's better. Okay. All right, okay. <laughs>